Hey friends, this is Michael Carey and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. Today I have with me three Men in the Battle facilitators. We're going to be talking through some questions uh, about Men in the Battle. Now, if you're not familiar with Men in the Battle, this is a group for men 18 and older who struggle or have struggled in the past with unwanted sexual behavior. And we do have men uh, from all of those age groups, from age 18 all the way through uh, 75, late 70s. So this, uh, this group is a closed group just open to men in that category so that we can have deep, vulnerable conversations. It's the kind of group where we sit around the table and when we look around, we don't have to guess whether or not one another has ever struggled with um, problems like porn addiction and uh, any other unwanted sexual behavior. But uh, we know and understand that we have similar struggles and so we can be real and take off the masks and we can talk to each other uh, on deeper levels. So, we're going to roll into a few questions here that I had for these guys. Um, each of these men had attended Men in the Battle uh, and and have received from this group and then transitioned into facilitating a group. So we have Greg, Rob, and Brian. And I'm going to start off with a question for Greg here. Uh, so here it is. What is. What was it like walking into a Men in the Battle group for the first time, Greg? Well, Michael, I, I remember that night. I had a long drive, uh, driving around the city, going to a place I'd never been before. Um, so, yeah, naturally I was nervous. Um, but the closer I got to the place where the meeting was going to be, there was um, severe weather that night. Like the sky was swirling, dark clouds, and it felt spiritual like there was some kind of a spiritual storm going on and and I would really I remember thinking am I nuts because I'm driving right into this um but I was also nervous so I didn't I didn't want to go there was it it really felt like um yeah the heavens were um opposing me and or or that there was some force that was making it dangerous for me um I persevered I drove into the parking lot and I, it was a big meeting. Like there were a lot of guys there. And I, I just remember thinking, I'm like, these guys seem like they all know each other. And I, and I know nobody. Um, and that night I just, I had to make myself stick up my hand say my name as uh, bad off as I was uh, emotionally. Um, yeah. It was a tough it was a tough door to walk through. Mm -hmm. Wow. So it kind of sounds like what was happening with the weather pattern kind of represented maybe what was going on inside of you, right? That it, the, the, the turmoil, the clouds, the, uh, Oh, there was so much turmoil in me, but more, it just seemed like, like, why is there uh tornado like weather? And, it was making me angry at the enemy as well. I'm gripping the steering wheel. I'm praying hard. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, I look back on that. I'm so glad I went. But like, well, you know, when else has there been a tornado when I drove up, up that side of town? Only that first night. 
<laughs> gotta hate the devil. Yeah. No kidding. I remember going to my first meeting, just sitting in the parking lot. I I got there really early before anybody else was there. And I was just sitting in the parking lot, like really nervous, just all these questions. Am I in the right place? You know, what kind of people are going to be here? Do I even belong here? You know, will this really make a difference? And thankfully I had a friend uh, who'd been involved in meetings like this, that, that I just called from the parking lot and, he just kind of talked me down, encouraged me, uh, kind of talked me through my anxiety. And I'm just so glad he did. You know, there's a part of me that just wanted to turn the car back on and go home. Um, but I stayed and I just remember my, you know, by the time that meeting was over, I knew I was not alone. You know, I, I knew there was a place that I could walk into and actually feel normal rather than different. Um, there's a humility in that room and, and an idea like these people get me um, and they accept me and they care about me and, and I think they can help me. Uh, so that was quite a shift from what I was feeling before I entered the room to what I was feeling when I walked out. Yeah. You, you had that question, do I belong here when yeah. you were sitting in your car? So yeah. by the end of the meeting, did you discover like, these are my people. I belong oh, here. Oh, right? absolutely. I had no idea. I, I, I could not have imagined. I'd never had that experience before walking into a meeting, being new and walking out and feeling like, Hey, I, I belong here. I'm coming back. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brian. So yeah, Rob, what uh, was your experience coming to bed of the battle for the first time? So I had never, been to a faith-based recovery group before men in the battle, but I had been in recovery for a little over a year in other um, recovery groups. And so I was really nervous coming in. I did not grow up in the church or with faith much at all. And so I thought that there was, you know, I was walking into something where there's this group of people that was a special club that I didn't belong to. And, and my addiction was, uh, you know, involved prostitution and, and other, um, infidelity. And I had never really heard Christian men confess that. Uh, I felt like I was walking into something that was kind of more surface level addiction, um, and, and maybe there's some guys that looked at porn and stuff. And I was surprised when I walked in to found, found that Christian men hire prostitutes too. And, uh, they do the same, they have infidelity the same as I did. And I felt, I felt, and, and I was afraid I was going to walk in and there was this special group of people that I didn't belong to. And overwhelmingly, guys kept coming up and introducing themselves and sharing their stories with me. And their stories weren't any different than mine. And so I really felt like, hey, these are these are my people. Um, and I had it, it really I got to know the people were real. And it took that kind of mask of, of religiosity off of of this meeting. And, and I just recognized these are broken people just like me that some of them had found, um, hope and they found grace. And, and I was shocked, um, with the grace that I felt 
that first night walking into this group because I had never really felt that around other religious people that I knew in my life. I felt a lot of judgment earlier in my life, and I did not feel that here. I walked in and I felt grace. And that was important. And that's why I was like, you know, I'm coming back um, because there's something to this. Uh, I, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I recognized there was something different about this than other places that I've been. Right. Yeah, I have uh, experienced the same kind of thoughts where, you know, when we think about Christians and a group that's faith based, we think uh, or make assumptions or we believe these lies, you know, and these thoughts start start popping into our head. Uh, these guys are on the lighter side. You know, I've done much worse or whatever it was. Christian men don't you know, look, they, they don't, they don't visit prostitutes or whatever it is. And, and, um, we, what we realize is that it's, it, it's a lie. Um, and they, you know, they're just as susceptible as anybody else in the world to falling into that pattern, you know? And, um, honestly, I think anyone who's looking at porn is, is in that category where, I mean, and I, I've had guys tell me, well, I would never go to a prostitute, you know, because they look at porn. And I'm like, um, OK, first of all, that sounds a little prideful because because I was there once, too. But what happens is what we're doing. My, my wife actually um, uh, nailed it when she called porn uh, and the women in porn pixelated prostitutes because we're having a fantasy of having sex with someone and basically moving into doing it in real life is the next stage. Right. So, so Rob, back to you. So after you came to men in the battle, you said, I made the decision I'm going to come back. Right. What effect did it have long-term after you had been visiting for several weeks? So I would, I went through a 12 step program, which is, a spiritual program and they even say that and so what i found was where it kind of left off opening me up spiritually men in the battle picked up and really kind of um helped foster that relationship that i have with jesus today um and as I look back, um, and I do reflect a little bit on that first day, now I look back at that and I can see that day I walked in to Men in the Battle, I see a picture of just heaven rejoicing, just Jesus throwing a party. He's finally come home. And I felt that way in my faith walk um, by being a part of Men in the Battle. It's, it's driven me toward a connection with God that I knew he was always there. I always felt like I was a believer, but I didn't have a relationship. And so the sex addiction part of it um, is much easier to address when I have a deeper relationship with God. When I believe that he loves me, when I believe that he cares for me, and that he'll be there to help me. And I've really been able to drive that deeper by being a part of a group of men who follow God, who this ministry is driven by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is driving this whole bus uh, that we call men in the battle. And that's helped foster 
So it's, it's, um, I feel like I'm going on and on, but it is, it's everything. Uh, it's really, it is what my spiritual life is dependent upon now is that relationship with Jesus. And I got it thanks to the work and the men that are involved with men in the battle. Yeah, Rob, you know, my, uh, what, what I remember or what I think of what men in the battle has done for me, I think of what it has, how it has helped me, um, get rid of my shame. And I'm one of the men of all the men in, in the groups who has a particular shame of experiencing same-sex attraction. Michael told me, Greg, when you get in your group, the men in that circle um, have done all kinds of things, including illegal things. You will not see anybody raise their eyebrows at what you say. But the proof is always in, right? The proof is in the experience. My group was incredible for me. And I, and I decided the very first night that I wasn't going to hold back. I wasn't going to be um, thinking, oh, well, I'll give them this little piece. Like I just decided I was all in. It took strength and it took courage. But after uh, several weeks, um, I actually said to the guys, you know, one of my big needs is like safe masculine touch that's non-sexual and uh, so I just said to them I'm kind of in despair because like where do you get it a slap on the back and a handshake and I asked him I said if you men are comfortable with it um, I could really use a hug wow what champions those guys lined up that night after the meeting was done just to hug me and I'll never regret the courage and the strength that I exercise to ask for what I needed. It was awesome. One of the big things that happened in my life as I began to experience the group was just an understanding of the difference between uh, having a character flaw and having an addiction. And uh, the word addiction can carry a lot of shame with it, but for me, it actually was very freeing. It helped explain to me, some of the issues, most of the issues that I was having, that I didn't understand where they came from or why they were such a problem. And uh, the education piece of, of learning about addiction, about uh, about behaviors and triggers and, uh, and those kinds of things was, um, uh, it was so helpful for me to begin to kind of see myself uh, in a different light with more understanding and more awareness. Uh, uh, part of the truth for me was that it, it took me a while uh, to learn how to be honest, um, that uh, I could be 90% honest, but the things that I was uh, most ashamed of were the things that I didn't share. And for quite a while, I was still hiding my slips uh, and checking in sober, even though uh, the idea of the group is 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 to you know, really learn how to be honest. And uh, when it, in my life, it got to the point where I couldn't hide anymore. Um, I, I believed I could trust these men to be honest. Uh, and I was surprised by the grace that I received, by the understanding, the love, 
the support I received. They told me I was courageous for being honest when in my mind, I was thinking they'd all be disappointed in me for not being honest sooner. Um, and the, the big thing that I've, that I've learned, the line that I use now with myself, every time I'm debating in my own mind whether I'm going to be honest, completely honest or not, um, and I'm just kind of having that inner debate, there's this phrase that comes back to my mind over and over again, uh, I'd rather be free. I'd rather be free. And, and that was modeled for me by so many other men to the point where when, when I began to experience it for myself, I, I will never forget that phrase. I'd rather be free. I could hide, but I'd rather be free. Yeah, that's so helpful. Thanks for sharing that. I would rather be free to my brother. So Brian, if you could continue with this question here. So you had that experience of starting to attend the group and then God called you into facilitating a men in the battle group, right? So what was that, what was that like, you know, transitioning in and becoming a facilitator and what, what did it, you know, what, what was it like if you would thinking of God, you know, calling you into doing such a thing? Um, yeah, I, I was just so grateful for my own experience, uh, for the facilitators and the sponsors and the, the counselors and the mentors that had helped me that I just really felt compelled to pass that along, uh, that experience, that strength, that hope, especially the hope. And um, uh, I, I love this idea of welcoming the newcomer. The thing that made me nervous is, will anybody show up for my group? <laughs> um, does, does anybody want to um, come be with me? And uh, it was very interesting. The, the first group meeting I had, I had, had two 20-something guys and a 70-something guy that just said, the Lord was telling me, um, you want to work on this before you see me in heaven? Or do you want to talk about it after? <laughs> and, uh, wow. uh, and, and so we had this incredible breadth right there. And, and just to be able to reassure them that, that you're in the right place. Um, that was exciting. You know, there's, there's this pressure that I put on myself to, to like, always say the right thing, to have my act together, uh, to sound like I know what I'm doing. And um, that's not just true about facilitating men in the battle group. That's true in my whole life. That's one of the wounds that I'm working on. Um, but what's happened in this group is, is that I've learned just by my own experience that when I've had to confess to them a slip, when I've had to share a struggle and not check in sober, there's part of me that feels like I'm going to disappoint them, that they're going to stop believing in this ministry. That's the voice in my head. But I'm just surprised, you know, the first time that I had slipped and shared that in my group, one of the men said to me, I'm so glad you're our leader. And and that just humbled me and, and encouraged me that, that the idea in facilitating a group is not to know all the answers. It's just to show up honest and humble and vulnerable and, and practice in front of these guys what we're asking them to practice in front of us. Uh, it's way more important than being the expert. It takes the pressure off and really lets the Holy Spirit do the work in and through me and in and through these men that only he can do. 
Yeah, Ryan, you know, when I transitioned from just attending the group to actually launching uh, a group about an hour away, my biggest transition was actually grieving my group, saying, saying goodbye to the men who walked with me through my crisis. Um, and I, for a while, I tried to stay in regular contact with them. But um, part of that reason was because I had trust with them and the relationship had some bedrock. I knew that eventually that would come in my own group, uh, but it was starting over. It was a bit of a sacrifice, to be honest, because I had to rebuild trust and intimacy. And you'll never, I think you'll never experience the level of trust than you did with the men that you first spoke your shame to. And we were crying, we were raging, going through those periods of our life together. Um, so deciding to facilitate actually calls on us to put down our own needs a bit and to prefer to create a space and a place for other men. And, uh, so yeah, there's, if, if that's what you're thinking about today, that, um, maybe I'll start a group. There is some grief that you experience, but there's also sweet reward for it you know yeah thanks greg i know when i started recovery i felt very strongly uh, god tell me i'm going to give you this gift of sobriety but i expect you to hand it out to others it's not yours to keep and i didn't know what he meant by that but then this Men in the Battle gave me an opportunity to give that gift away that God has given me. And I had no idea how it would impact me. But when I first started, there was just a couple of people there. And um, I don't know if, you know, four maybe, and we, you know, we grew down to two um, before we grew back up. And, but one of the first men that come in, after a few months, was a guy who was uh, uh, facing some some legal issues and lost a ministry. And through God's grace, uh, nothing I did, but it was giving that space for him to come and be open and share, and and things turned around in his life. God gave him some wonderful gifts and. This guy's now leading other men. Um, and it's just, it's amazing. For me, I feel like I'm on the sidelines. I'm kind of just watching God move into these men's lives. And it's just, it's just overwhelming at times. But what a gift. I mean, I just really see it as a gift. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. That's huge. So... You, you have commented in uh, a couple, couple of you already, and Rob, just now, you, and where you guys were leading to was um, this next question that I had, is what impact has facilitating the Men in the Battle group been? 
on you? What, what, what kind of an impact has it had on your life? Because I know that it can be, uh, there's a lot of output, but it also is life-giving as well and, and, and very rewarding. So Greg, do you want to start off by answering that when one? When I think of that, the first impact that it had was becoming like a public face for men who are looking for sex addiction to have my uh, sex addiction help, um, to have my phone number listed next to my name, say, and call me for help. I, I needed to be in step with my wife about that decision. Um, as I moved into welcoming men and facilitating the group, I really started to pay attention to what things work for me as a facilitator and bringing some of my own professional skills of group facilitation helped enormously to be able to watch um, for body language. You know, when a man says a certain word, his uh, temples might bulge, you might see him sweat or he's doing stuff with his hands. And then it's just to draw their attention to, hey, while you were saying that, I noticed this. You want to tell me what's going on beneath that? There was um, a real, I got really excited about how I could actually, and, and this goes to the meaning of the word facilitate. The, the root means to make something easy. And so we're making men's uh, check-in process and their own opening up and vulnerability. We facilitate that. We make it easier for them. So all of the little skills that I could begin to bring into that process, I thought that was who I needed to become uh, better at that. And I also, I started to feel passion to see men, not just report sobriety, but I really wanted to see them transformed. And that birthed in me then a commitment to pray for the guys by name each day of the week to become their best prayer support. Because, uh, you know, prayer unleashes power for life and ministry. So like a friend of mine says, when we pray, things happen, right? When we pray, things happen, God does stuff. But when we don't pray, other things happen. In other words, omitting to pray for the men in my group is a huge failure for me as, as a leader. So I began to develop reliance on prayer and a passion to see men changed. Yeah, I think I shared a little, uh, I started to get into that and I would just, um, only add, you know, besides the gift of watching men as it's turned to my focus more from sobriety and rescuing my life to freedom. What does freedom mean? And really it's, it's turned to focus to trying to offer these guys, um, uh, a, a person to walk with, to find freedom in their life and in many aspects. Thanks Rob. I, um, I grew up in church and, and I always just, uh, thought to myself that, that when I get older, God's going to use my gifts and my talents and, um, and kind of lived into that for most of my life. But even though I, I'd always heard and known that God would use my, my giftedness, I never imagined how he would use my brokenness and, and the things that I was most ashamed of, the things that I didn't want anyone to know, 
the things that I feared would ruin my life if anyone found out. You know, they are the things that God has used to teach me about his grace, about his true character, about his true love. Right. And now as a facilitator, I get to pass that message along. God is not ashamed of you. He loves you. He cares about you deeply. He understands your struggle. He understands why your struggle. And this is a place where we can talk about that and you can experience his grace and his love. I, I tell the guys in our group, this is the real world here tonight in this group. You know, we leave here, we go out in the ordinary world, but, but there might not be any other place in your life where you can be this honest and experience this kind of community. And, and guys are starving for it. You know, where have you ever had a place in your life where you can talk about this? Uh, and you can talk openly about the stuff that's been shrouded in shame and, and in silence. And, and almost to a man, the guys, I never even knew this existed, that it was possible to have a place like this in my life. So that, you know, when those guys look me in the eye and say thank you for the impact that this group has had on my life, and when I watch them, uh, just to begin reaching out to each other during the week and then loving and supporting and encouraging each other, not just in, in sexual addiction and behaviors, but, but in every aspect of their life to be there for each other. It's just, it's so humbling and I'm so grateful. And I'm uh, just, uh, just to be part of what God is doing. This is church. This is the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm just, I don't even have words for it. Um, I'm just so grateful. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Brian, thanks so much for sharing that. So here's the last question. Just thinking about the guy who's listening to this podcast and he knows that he has an issue. Maybe his wife or his family or others know about it. Maybe they don't. Maybe he's never told anyone about it, but he's thinking about coming to Men in the Battle. He's thinking about what are the benefits? What would it be like? What would you guys say? What would you tell him, the guy who's thinking about joining Men in the Battle as an, as an attender? I'd say, you know, you just can't imagine from where you sit, especially with all of the fear of the things that you could lose if you're exposed. You just can't imagine the joy that, is just ahead for you. Grab your strength, grab your courage, and join a group. Open up about your shame and break its power to hijack the story of your life because that's exactly what shame has done. There is good news on the other side, and you will find brothers who see your shadows and accept you just the way you are. Thanks, Greg. And I would add to that because looking back to where I was, um, if you're a man listening to podcasts thinking that you're going to put this away, um, you're going to overcome this and nobody's going to be the wiser of it. Um, I tried to do 12 steps alone without anybody knowing. I didn't realize it's a fellowship program. Um, So I would say to you, to the new guy who's considering this, You need brothers to walk with you. Jesus said, when two or more are together, I'm with you. 
Um, he didn't say, I'm going to come and join you alone and fix all your problems. You need brothers. Um, you And so it's great to listen to these podcasts. It's great to put in effort, but you've got to have somebody to walk beside you in those efforts so that Jesus can show up because he is where the healing is. It's not your power to overcome this without the brotherhood and God to step in and help you. And I would echo that. I'd echo that, Rob, that sense that for so many years, I thought that I could lick it, that there was something in me that was missing. And if I found it, I could, I could handle this. And I, I kind of half truth told a few people here or there, uh, had accountability partners, but this, as one of our mentors says, having an accountability partner just means you have one more person to lie to. And uh, the difference between that and being in a fellowship where you are not alone, uh, aloneness is the killer. Isolation is the killer in this. Um, and being known in a group and loved and accepted by other men, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And uh, even the idea of confession, just confessing my sin to God, I think most of the time I was just confessing my sin to myself. But when I began to involve another brother in my confession, all of a sudden, real freedom happened. And uh, it was an experience I'd never had before in all my years in church. But I began to have it now. And, and that idea of, of telling the truth to myself, to my God, and to another brother is that third leg of the stool that just makes everything uh, begin to fall in place. Yeah, and that uh, just reminds me in the book of James where it says, when we confess our sins to each other and we pray for one another, there is healing. And that is so true. And um, yeah, exactly, exactly uh, my story as well, guys, thinking through um, when I would hear something like a podcast like this or see a video or um, a seminar or whatever it was, uh, maybe it was a you know a pastor preaching at church about lust and so on. I would think that's my message. That's that's what I needed. You know, that was my wake up call. Now I'm going to stop, and I would go back and maybe I would have an extra week. You know, <laughs> as opposed to I did bef- what I had before. You know, instead of two weeks, maybe I would have three weeks between sessions of looking at porn and so on. But. Uh, I have never met anyone who has conquered and licked this thing um, alone. And, and, and when I say alone, I mean, yes, they're reaching out to God. They're crying out to God. I did the same thing. The problem was that I was trying to control the solution, and God was not all about that. God decides what we need, and every single man that I've seen that has, that has really really achieved long-term freedom from this has always involved other men who have come before him, who have gone through the struggle and a group like men in the battle. It's just the way that I believe God works it. It's done in community. I, I heard um, someone once say that, uh, you know, he was looking for a private solution to his private problem. And that's where I was at, but it's not effective. It doesn't work. Yeah, and, no, we figured that out, right? Yeah. yeah, it doesn't work. 
if I could solve it myself, I'd end up taking credit for it. And there's, there's the rub, right? <laughs> it has to be something that, yeah. that God does for me rather than something that I fix in myself. Yeah, another way that I heard it said is that Jesus promises us a personal relationship. He doesn't promise us a private one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Thank you guys so much for being vulnerable and honest here on this podcast. I know that this is going to help so many men and women, wives who, you know, need to know what is the real solution to this problem for their husband. Ministry leaders, what's the real solution for people in their congregation? You know, this is uh, men in the battle and groups like this are a huge huge benefit.